When my son John was about three years of age, he's now almost 30 years of age, but when he was about three years old, he was um, at one end of the hallway and I was at the other end of the hallway in our house. And I just come into the hallway and he saw me and we like to wrestle and we would challenge each other with wrestling on the floor and stuff. And so he's on the one end and he sees me and he goes, Daddy, do you want to wrestle? And I said, sure, I want to wrestle. And he said, Daddy, and he kind of got his hands up like he was going to attack me. Do you want to wrestle? And I said, yeah. And then he started running toward me, making noise, ah. And so I just went like this, went, ah. And he stopped, looked up at me, turned, ran back into one of the bedrooms and closed the door and got under the bed. <laughs> he made all this noise like he was going to make this big stand. And then he collapsed. I think sometimes we as Christians do that in life. When we face threats or challenges or difficulties, we, we make a lot of noise, like we're gonna trust God, we're gonna, we're gonna move forward by faith and take a running stand for God, but then we shrink back in fear. I don't know what threats maybe have come into your life in the last week or two or months, or maybe it's been many years you've been facing some threat medically or with your family, maybe your finances, your job. Maybe there's something out there that you face as a threat. Today we're going to talk about faith over fear. We're going to look at the story of David and Saul. Many people know this story as David and Goliath. So this is the story of David and Saul and that guy named Goliath. If you want to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is our second week in a 14-week study on the life of David, this great Old Testament character. Last week we saw... David being anointed king, probably around age 10 to 15. He's anointed to be king, but yet he goes back to tending the sheep, and it'll be almost two decades before he becomes king of Israel. He's going to replace King Saul, who has walked in disobedience to God, and God has said, I'm not going to allow your son to become the king. You've squandered your opportunity. He's going to find a man whose heart is aimed after my heart. And David was that man anointed to be king, then we come to this story that's so familiar, not only to people in the church, but it's, it's familiar, even used in advertising at times, the David and Goliath story. But I want us to understand this as we, we look at 1 Samuel 17 about the story. Sometimes we miss the real, the real emphasis of the story. The key to the story of 1 Samuel 17 is not the physical conflict between David and Goliath, but the spiritual contrast the spiritual contrast between David and Saul. This is not David and Goliath, and in some ways even saying it's David and Saul misses the point. This is the contrast between a heart full of faith and a heart full of fear. How do you choose faith over fear in our world today? We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 17, if you're there in your Bibles. I'm going to be using the New Living Translation today because in this translation, some of the weights and other things are already translated and makes it much easier and smoother for us to read and without me having to explain all the different weights and stuff. So the, the verses I'll be reading will be available on the screen. But let me just give you the setting of this battle. We're going back a thousand years before Jesus walked on planet Earth. Saul is king of Israel. The Philistines have been a problem to the Israelites for some time. You have the Israelites inland, and the Philistines are along the Mediterranean, and uh, the Israelites are in the way of what the Philistines want to do in expanding, and even expanding into an important part of the then-known world, and 
They've already, we read in the chapters prior to this, they've already kind of disarmed the Israelites. They've destroyed the blacksmiths in Israel. So there are only two swords that are sharp, the scriptures say. One is King Saul and the other is his son, Jonathan, the prince. And so the Israelites have been weakened already and now the Philistines are going to try to just destroy the Israelites and move them aside so they can expand their kingdom and even take new territory, open some trade routes, things like that. And so this battle we read about in 1 Samuel 17 is a national crisis. This is a crisis of leadership. This is so important because the Philistines are ready just to annihilate God's people, the people of Israel. The setting is that this battle takes place with the Israelites on one hilltop and the Philistines on another hilltop, and in between is the valley of Elah. And often that's how battles would be fought, sides being on these little hilltops, and then the battle take place in the valley. And we read in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 4, Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. So he is the champion of the Philistines. They've used this method before when they've challenged other people groups. Send out one warrior to challenge one person from the other side, and the winner takes all. He comes out, he's over nine feet tall. Now I'm six foot two, he's three feet plus higher than me, just shy of a basketball hoop in height. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He's got a helmet on, made of metal. He's got this, this armor over his chest and his back. This armor weighs 125 pounds. Most Bible scholars believe David, who's probably somewhere between the ages of 12 and 18 when this battle takes place, David probably didn't weigh 125 pounds at this point. He also wore bronze leg armor and he, had, he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam. That's about a four by four piece of wood tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. 15 pounds is the tip of the spearhead. All he had to do was just sort of knock David to the side and this would have taken care of him. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. So Goliath comes down out of the ranks and what you have here, we read this and it doesn't look that impressive. But in the era in which this is written, he was the most advanced technological fighting machine in the world. He has armor and metal. He has things described here no one had ever seen before. He's almost 10 feet tall. He's been to war before. He's won for the Philistines on this mano a mano, man-to-man battle kind of approach before. And he stands there, just this impressive man. Now, verse of the, the last part of verse 7 is so important. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Later he'll just be called the shield bearer who walks before him. So here comes Goliath. He comes out to fight the army of Israel to challenge them. And he's got in front of him a shield bearer. And in Sunday school they never showed the shield bearer on the flannel graph or the little things. When my kids were young with the veggie tails, they never showed the, the shield bearer. You see, Going out in front of Goliath is a man who has a shield. It's not just a little round shield he holds like this and hands to Goliath. This is a guy who is trained to carry a movable wall that's going to be just the width of Goliath and just the height so that when that wall is set down on the ground and the shield bearer gets down and he holds it in place like a wall, Goliath, the giant, can only see over the top of it like this. See how significant this, significant this becomes? 
So there's this wall moving in front of Goliath. He is the most impressive machine in war that anybody had ever seen up to this point. Verse eight, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? Why have you all lined up? All I need is one man. You guys, he says, he called, I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Now, this phrase is him calling out Saul. Remember, they had picked Saul to be king and the Lord allowed it because he was head and shoulders above all the other Israelites. He looked the part of a muscular fighting king. And so Goliath is actually calling him out. Why are you all here to fight? All I need is one man and he's hinting it should be Saul. You're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. If I win, you will become our servants. If he wins, we'll become your servants. Now, again, we read this and we don't understand the fear this kind of individual at almost 10 feet tall with all this modern advanced weaponry, the kind of fear he would create. But look at verse 11. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. So on this side, they look at Goliath and they are terrified, they're shaking. And notice the narrator includes for us Saul. Saul is gripped by fear. And they're just overwhelmed. Now we read in verses uh, 12 through 15 that David's older brothers, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shema, are off and they're a part of the Israelite army side. Verse 16, we read, for 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted out in front of the Israelite army. So for 40 days, every morning, every night, he came out and said, send one man out to fight me. I just picture Saul over on this side when he's calling him out, he's even naming Saul. You're just the servants of Saul, hinting you need to send the tallest guy who's Saul. I just picture you know, Saul standing like this each morning and as Goliath comes down, he starts going like this among the soldiers, you know. Didn't want to stand out as the tallest guy. But he does this for 40 days, nothing happens. Meanwhile, David who's been watching the sheep, remember he didn't strut his stuff once he became anointed king, he's just gonna wait on God's timing. He's taking care of his father's sheep and Jesse, his father, calls him in and says, David, take, uh, take this bread and this cheese and I want you to go and see how the battle's going and give us a report back. When David left home that day, he had no idea he was gonna face Goliath. We kind of have this idea. David got up in the morning and said, oh, today's the day I'm gonna kill a giant. No, he was the cheese delivery boy. It's a reminder that God gives us Giant jobs in the midst of tiny tasks. Sometimes you, you go into your day and you don't know the faith that's going to be required of you that day. So we read in verse 20, so David left the sheep with another shepherd. He's so faithful in caring for these sheep, doing what his assignment is right now. That's how he becomes such a faithful king. And set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed. He arrived at the camp just as the Israel army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. So they're, they're all getting up in the morning and they're at the top of the hill and they kind of move down the hill somewhat and they're screaming, yeah, we're going to war, we're going to war. This is the 41st day they've been doing this. The text then says, Goliath comes out. David hears him shout the usual taunt. Verse 24, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in, in fright. So these guys are cheering like, they're, we're going against the Philistines, and then he steps out, and they run. 
Just like kind of my son did in the story I started with. But David is, is bothered by this. He starts saying, hey, what if somebody fights this guy? What, what, what's going to happen? Oh, the, the king will make him his son-in-law. He'll become wealthy. His family won't pay any taxes. There's this great thing. And verse 26, David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Who is this guy? He's mocking our God. And so he keeps asking this question. He's saying, isn't somebody, one of you guys go and fight and somebody needs to stand up to this guy. And his older brother Eliab hears about it. He mocks him. He says, hey, little brother, go home and take care of those few sheep you watch after. I know you're here just to kind of get some story and go back and be real popular because you can tell the story of war. David says, what have I done? I'm just asking, who's going to challenge this giant in the name of our God? Verse 31, then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Verse 32, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. Now here's Saul, this tall guy. There's Goliath, who's even taller than him, and then there's this David. (laughs) It says, don't worry about that giant. I'll take care of him. I'll go fight him. Verse 33, don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. You're a kid. You just have been watching some sheep. This guy, I imagine maybe when he's like in the sixth grade, you know, Goliath is probably seven foot tall. He's 12 years old. And they say, well, that's it. You're only going to go through the sixth grade because you're going to war. He'd been in battle probably since his early teens. And he's done a number of these. They challenge a whole group of people with him out there. And it'd be a man-to-man fight. And winner takes all. And Saul says, you're crazy. He's going to squash you in a moment. Don't be ridiculous. This guy's a man of war. You see the scars on him? Verse 34, but David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. Here we go again. Remember where he was when Samuel was looking for the brothers? He was being faithful with the sheep. Remember where he was when Saul needed somebody to to come play the music for him? He was faithful with his sheep. Here he is. He says, I was with my father's sheep. This is a good reminder that we get an enormous education in the midst of the regular routine of life. So I was just doing my normal thing as a shepherd. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. He is so concerned that Goliath is mocking The God of Israel, the one true living God. Somebody needs to stand up. And God has prepared me when no one was looking. I was out there taking care of lions and bears. And God helped me with that. And God is going to help me with this giant. Don't worry. The Lord rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear. He He will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead. And may the Lord be with you. That little phrase, may the Lord be with you was kind of a phrase that had almost become, good luck. (laughs) Good luck, buddy. Then Saul gave David his armor, a bronze helmet, a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it. It was one of two swords they had in Israel. And took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things. He was the armor bearer, but he hadn't worn it like that. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. 
He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he, crossed, he started to cross the valley to fight the Philistine. Notice verse 40 really emphasized he's only equipped as a shepherd. He's got a stick. He's got this little pouch where a shepherd would keep little things like stones and he's got a sling. The sling is just a couple of strings and then he moves down from the Israelite army and he's starting to come down to the valley of Elah. Verse 41, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him. Again, rarely is this shown. Goliath is coming, robo warrior, with his shield bearer ahead of him. Sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy, Goliath says, am I a dog? He roared to David, do you come at me with a stick? Look, that little stick is used to shoo away dogs. I am a mighty warrior, a fighting machine. Are you kidding me? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. He is ticked off. He thinks this is some joke put on by the, the Israelites that somehow they're mocking him after 40 days, this 41st day. He says, come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. Come here, little boy. Come on, come over here. I'm gonna kill you and the birds of the air and the animals are gonna take your body. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, spear, and a javelin. By the way, David noticed the odds. <laughs> he knew this was gonna take tremendous trust in the midst of overwhelming odds. He sees the weaponry as it's sticking out around Goliath behind the, the shield bearer, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. I come here not on my own, I'm coming here for my God. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. Now notice what he says here. Remember, Goliath said, hey little boy, I'm gonna take your body and spread it out for the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, the animals. But he says, and then I will give the dead bodies of you and all your men to the birds and wild animals. David ups it. I'm not only gonna take your body and leave it here for the birds of the air and the animals, I'm taking all your friends out with you. Then he says, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. For 40 days, the name of our God has been mocked, and it doesn't even look like we have a living God in Israel, but no longer, Goliath. Today's the day the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. Both sides will see that our God is our rescuer, but not with a sword and a spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Now, if this had been Sean and that giant had stepped out and I you know, was brave enough to even walk out of the army lines toward there, and this guy threatens me and I say some big words back, I think I would have taken a big gulp and stepped backwards. But notice verse eight says, as Goliath moved closer to, to attack. So Goliath is moving in. I'm thinking David ought to step back, take a moment, get the rock out of the sack and put it in the sling. And no, it says David quickly ran out to meet him. This guy's taking a running stand of faith at this great threat that he's facing. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. Now, many of us are familiar with Michelangelo's statue of David, and we've been using the kind of the head, the bust shot of that as part of the, 
the visuals for this series. There's another picture, another great sculpture that is in Rome in the Borgia Museum. It's a sculpture by Benini. And this one shows David in action. I love this statue. It shows David getting the sling ready. He's pulled the sling out. Even in the close-up kind of shows his face serious, that he's ready and he's gonna take on this giant. Now, when we, we think of a sling, sometimes we think of a slingshot that you know, goes like this and we let it go. But in the ancient world, in some places in the Middle East, it's more like this, what you see on the screen or what I'm holding here. It's amazing what you can buy on Amazon. I put David's sling and this is what I got. <laughs> Came in one day. But it's true to what it was like. The rock would go in this pouch. My dad made this for Troy and I, made these for Troy and I when we were kids, and so we used these in the woods or in fields around our house. And the idea is you hold both strings, but you've got one that you're ready to let go of with one hand, and so then you swirl it more like this. A lot of people will say like this, but it's mostly like this because the revolutions and the faster they would go, and then they would develop a precision to let go of the one string, and as they let go of the one string, the rock would go out and they could hit a target. Um, very skilled, and David had become very skilled with the lions and the bears that he dealt with and the animals that came along and probably did some practice while he's sitting out there, not much to do. So he pulls out his sling, he's got those five smooth stones he picked up, puts one stone in, puts it in there. By the way, the, I was reading that the force of this, this rock coming out of these revolutions can be over two times the fastest pitch ever in Major League Baseball. And that rock would come out, and it says the stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Now it's very easy for us as we look at this passage and this story, to be caught up in some of the things I hear are things like, you know, uh, the Goliath you face will bring out the David in you. That's not the point of this story. It's not about your greatness. David didn't make it about his greatness. He made it about his God. If you just see the physical conflict between David and Goliath, you miss what, what the, the author of the scriptures is trying to communicate here. This is about the fear-filled heart of Saul compared to the faith-filled heart of David. You see, to choose faith over fear, we must focus on the God we serve rather than the threat we face. You read it constantly through 1 Samuel 17. David keeps referencing the God of heaven, the God of Israel, the living God, the God of heaven's armies. His focus is there. What's the threat you face right now? Is something doing with your marriage, your family? Maybe somebody's health, maybe there's been a loss of a loved one. Maybe there's a financial crisis, there's something going on, mental health, physical health, addiction. I don't know what it is you or someone you love is going through. It can seem like a a giant like Goliath. But the key to choosing faith over fear is we must focus on the God we serve rather than the threat we face. There are a lot of people in this world who are panicking about things going on sociologically and politically, and boy, they concern me too. But we need to have our eyes on the God we serve more than the threats we face. 
He is bigger than any threat in my personal life, in our our community, in our church, in our state, in our nation, in our world. We have to make sure that our focus is on the God we serve rather than the threats we face. And a lot of us are spending hours and hours and hours dealing with, with the threats we face when our eyes need to be on our God. There are four critical questions I want to give you that I think based on this passage, we should be asking ourselves as we cultivate hearts that aim at the heart of God. And we want to be people who have our focus on the God we serve rather than the threats we face. Question number one, where are your eyes? This is the most obvious of these four questions. Where are your eyes? Saul's eyes were on Goliath. For 40 days, every morning, every night, he stared at that man. He heard him use his name, call everybody else the servants, and Saul's the main guy, and he knows there's this challenge coming, but he keeps looking at Goliath, and he keeps shrinking back in fear because his eyes are on Goliath, not on God. However, David's eyes were on God. Even his older brother is bothered that David's focus is on God. Eliab's saying, there's a giant out there. What are you talking about God for? Little brother, go back to your sheep. Saul's eyes were on Goliath. David's eyes were on God. Someone has said that we as Christians spend far too much time gazing at our circumstances and glancing at our God when we ought to be glancing at our circumstances and gazing at our God. Holocaust survivor Corey Ten Boom said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. Whatever the threat is you're facing, you probably already analyzed it and studied it and tried to find your way around it and deal with it. Lift up your eyes and see your God. He is greater than any giant you'll ever face. Saul's eyes were on Goliath. David's eyes were on God. Remember, David took a running start toward the threat he faced. I like how the writer of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's not just get stationary and, and let the things of this world consume us and over, over, overflow on us to the point that we're crushed. But let's keep running this race, the, the mission we're on in the Lord, walking in obedience to him, winning more people to him, discipling people and winning more people to him. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The text goes on to say who is the author and perfecter of our faith. In this faith journey we're in, let's lift up our eyes and get them fixed on Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Where are your eyes? Have you been staring too much at the threat you face? Open God's word, talk to God in prayer. If you feel like you're so overwhelmed that you can't get your eyes off the problems, then just stop and say, God, I gotta get my eyes up, I gotta see you, I need a fresh glimpse of you. Open the Psalms, cry out to God from your heart, get your eyes on your God. Secondly, who do you fear? Who do you fear? Saul's heart feared others. He feared Goliath, he feared what the Israelites would think, and that's why I think you know, he just sort of sneaks in among them and tries to look like he's the same height or maybe a little shorter than the rest of them. He probably is shrinking back and doesn't want to be noticed when his name is called out by Goliath. But David's heart feared God. He's not afraid of Goliath. He's afraid of God. And some people say, oh, boy, pastor, you shouldn't talk about being afraid of God. Oh, yes, I should. 
We all know there are healthy fears in this life, right? When your kids were toddlers and they're starting to walk and you know, if they lick their finger and they're going to put it in a light socket, you teach them a healthy fear of electricity, right? Because it's powerful. Or, or a hot stove. We teach them to have a healthy fear of a hot stove. When Adam and Eve were created, they had a healthy, pure, holy fear, awe, and reverence of God. He is God, we are not. He made us and we're gonna give an account to him. They had a holy fear. Satan came along and said, God's lying to you. If you eat of this tree, you'll be like God. You won't have to fear him anymore. You'll, you'll be like him. The scriptures say that a healthy understanding of who God is and who we are compared to God, that fear of the Lord in Proverbs, it says it over and over again, is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom and understanding in life. We need a healthy fear of God. Saul's heart feared others. David's heart feared God. You see, when you have a healthy, holy, whole fear of God, the Lord, and who he is compared to who you are, then everything else shrivels and shrinks. It could be a threat to you. Dio Moody said, when a man fears God, he has nothing else to fear. Oh, that we would, again, get our eyes on God, get to know who God is in his word, do everything you can to understand. You see, when you get to know who God is and you get your eyes on God, your God gets bigger and bigger and bigger and your threats and the giants in your life shrink and shrivel the more your God gets bigger in your vision. But if you let the threats grow bigger and bigger and become the giants, then your view of God is pretty puny and you will be gripped by fear. I like how the Apostle John told us in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have the Holy Spirit within us if we are followers of Jesus Christ. He is given to us the moment we receive Christ. He's there to comfort us, to guide us, to empower us, to give us discernment and wisdom, to deal with the troubles of this life, to strengthen our faith. And the one who is in us is greater than anyone in this world, including Satan, his demonic world, all of the people, all the enemies of the cross. Anybody who, who wants to cause you difficulty or problems, any scenario or circumstance you have that seems to be overwhelming, the one who is in you is greater than anyone and everything else in your life. Don't let the giants get bigger than they really are. Last week on the way out, we gave you a card that kind of put the focus of this series on the life of David on one side, and on the other side we had a, like a post-it sticky note heart. And if you didn't get one, you'll be able to get one on the, at the doors on the way out today, and you can take that sticky heart we said last week, and we talked about how God looks at the heart. We need to aim our hearts at the heart of God to get to know God, to pursue him, to live for him like David did. Now we need to be working on our hearts more than our outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. We need to, in this series, we're gonna talk about aiming our heart, cultivating our heart before the Lord. So take that heart, if you still got it from last week and you haven't done it yet, put it in the middle of your mirror where you brush your teeth, you comb your hair, you shave, put on your makeup, where you get ready in the morning so that yes, it disrupts your view every day because you got that heart there and you're going, oh yeah, I need to work on my heart. More than I work on my appearance. I need to get in God's word and talk to God in prayer. I need to be cultivating my heart. Let me encourage you this week, when you see that heart and you can get one on your way out. Oh, let me say this too. I had some people email me and say to me, well, we're online, we, we couldn't get a heart. What do we do? Well, get a piece of paper, draw a heart on it, <laughs> stick it to your mirror. 
Problem solved. Even better, if you have a post-it note, just draw a heart on it and stick it in your mirror right where you're gonna see it every morning. Whatever way you have to disrupt yourself to think, am I cultivating my heart? This week, ask yourself, when it comes to fear, am I cultivating a healthy and holy fear of awe and reverence of who God is? Or am I letting the things of this world become a bigger fear for me than who my God is? Ask God to give you a fresh glimpse of him. Ask God to enlarge your vision of who your God is. I've also been working this week on a website called aimyourheart.com. It has resources we'll use throughout this study of the life of David. The list I read last week that ended with Lazarus was dead and God used him. That list uh, is available there. Other things, other quotes I use, things from this sermon I'll put there, things I didn't get a chance to include in the sermon or I missed in one service or in another, I'll put at aimyourheart.com. So if you want resources to help you cultivate this week your heart in a holy, healthy, reverent fear of God, there'll be some resources there at aimyourheart.com to help you as you cultivate your heart before the Lord. Where are your eyes? Saul's eyes were on Goliath. David's eyes were on God. Who do you fear? Saul's heart feared others. David's heart feared God. Thirdly, what is your strength? What is your strength? Saul's strength was the stuff that he had. Saul's strength was the stuff that he had. You remember, verse 38 says, Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and coat of mail. He says, this is what I have. If I were to go to battle, I'm not gonna go to battle against that guy. This is what I have that I would trust in, my confidence and my strength to take on this giant. David said, I can't go in these. These aren't gonna work for me. But he keeps saying over and over again, it's the Lord. He says so clearly in verse 47, this is the Lord's battle. It's not David's battle. Battle. It's not Saul's battle. It's not the Israelites' battle. This is the Lord's battle. He'll take care of this. You see, Saul's strength was the stuff that he had. David's strength was the God who had him. When we know Christ as our Savior, we are in Christ. And Jesus says we are in his Father's hand when we are his children. We put our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are in the Father's hand. No one can pluck us out of the Father's hand. We can't fall out of it. Nothing in this world can ever shake our eternal relationship with God. So no matter what happens in this life, I've got Jesus and Jesus has me. David was trusting in the God who had him, the God who'd helped him on the hillside with the bear and the lion, the God who brought him to this point. He knew the God who had him, and that's where his strength came from. We live in an area where a lot of folks in this region have influence and affluence. Some of you have a lot of money. Some of you have a lot of connections and network and people you know. And when something comes along, you rely on your wealth and your connections to to get you past the threat, the trouble, the difficulty. Make sure your strength is truly in the God who has you not the stuff you have. The degrees, the years of accomplishment, the experience. Because there are threats coming that no matter how much money you have, no matter how much influence you have, they will not help you. But you can rest assured 
that the God who has you will take you through anything and any threat that comes your way. If you don't know Christ as Savior, if you haven't put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you are not safe in the Father's hand until you know Christ. Put your faith in Jesus today. I'll be in the lobby and love to chat with you about that, how you can know that you are safe in Christ through what Jesus did on the cross for you and what he did for you in securing new life for you in his resurrection. Our care and prayer team are down front. They're always here to pray with you about any need, but they can help you just to know that you are in Christ, that God has you. Maybe you're joining us online, or right now where you sit, it'd be just so simple to text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen, 58568. Just type that in as the number, like the phone number you'd be sending the message to, 58568, and just put Jesus in the message. We'll follow up and answer any questions you have about what it means to know that you are in Christ, that you have Christ, and Christ has you. Don't rely on the stuff of this world or the things you've accomplished or who you are or what your portfolio is as your strength. Saul's strength was in the stuff that he had, the position he held. David's strength was in the God who had him. I like how David would later say in Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and shield. I trust in him with all my heart. I wonder if when he thought of, when he said shield, if he might even have been thinking of that day that that shield bearer put that wall down and all that was exposed of Goliath between his helmet and the shield the shield bearer had was this. And where did the rock hit? Right here. His preparation intertwined with God's power to accomplish God's eternal purposes in that moment. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This doesn't mean it's some lucky rabbit's foot. I want to be president so I can do that. I want to be the next top model so I can do that. It's not that kind of thing. This is when the threats come. We can rely on the strength of the Lord Jesus. When the threats come, the giants get bigger and bigger in our eyes. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. What is your strength? Is it in the stuff you have, the things you've accomplished, or is it in the God who has you? Fourth question, why do you do what you do? What motivates you? What's your passion? What drives you? What's your mission? Saul's mission was to protect himself. He's even gonna let a boy go out without armor because at least he's gonna be safe. He's gonna let 40 days go by where the Israelite army looks foolish and their God looks foolish, but at least he's safe, he's protected. But look at that last part of this passage. Look at the heart of David as he's even talking to Goliath. He says in verse 46, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and everyone assembled here on both sides will know that the Lord rescues his people, not with sword and spear, not with the stuff we have. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. He said the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. Your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your family, they're watching you, how you're going through that cancer, how you're going through that cancer with the relative. They're watching you with that pressure at work, that stuff going on on the job, the 
situation you're in, in your family, in your marriage, in your finances, it, people around are watching and they're saying, is there any difference in her and how I would deal with this or how I'm dealing with it? Any difference between him and me? People are longing to see something different. And when we have Christ and Christ has us and our strength is in the one who has us, then we have an opportunity as we go through it, even though it may be hard and heavy, to keep pointing to our God so that the whole world will know there is a God in Sean's life that makes a difference. There's a God in your life that makes a difference. And they will see our God. Why do you do what you do? Saul's mission was to protect himself. David's mission was to glorify his God. Good times and bad times. We sometimes get in our minds as Christians, the only way God can be glorified is if complete healing comes, if a complete reversal of my financial situation comes, if, if, if the, the marriage is completely healed, that's the only way God can ever be glorified. We don't control all the variables. Others control the variables. Nation, natural things control variables. We live in a broken, groaning world. We're broken, groaning people. We live with other gro broken, groaning people. So it's not just that there's some great, obvious victory, but it's the victory in how we go through it, bringing honor and glory to our God, keeping our focus on the God we serve rather than the threats we face. Where are your eyes? David's eyes were clearly on God while Saul's were on Goliath. Who do you fear? David's heart feared God with a holy, healthy fear. Saul's heart feared others. What's your strength? David's strength was in the God who had him where Saul's strength was in the stuff he had. Why do you do what you do? David did what he did to glorify his God. Saul did what he did to protect himself. You see the contrast? We need to choose faith over fear. To do that, we gotta focus on the God we serve rather than the threats we face. Are you focusing on the God you serve rather than the threat you face? You see that heart on your mirror this week or when God reminds you that you need to choose faith over fear, lift up your eyes, see your God afresh for who he is. When Jonathan challenged me to wrestle, and Daddy, you want to wrestle? Sure. Started making noise. You want to wrestle, Daddy? Sure. Then when he got closer to me and I got bigger, <laughs> I got overwhelmed and ran the other way. That doesn't have to be the mode we're in as we face the threats and giants of this world. But we have to keep our focus on our God, not on the threats not on the Goliaths around us every day. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this incredible story of Scripture. I pray, Father, that you would be with those who right now can identify the Goliath, the threat. Maybe it's someone else. Maybe it's something they or their family are going through. Maybe it's uncertainty around work or job or career. Maybe it's deeply rooted family stuff. Maybe it's addiction to them or someone they care about. But I don't know what it is, but may they be able to glance at those things and gaze at you. 
so clear throughout this text that David's heart, mind, soul, spirit, and eyes were focused on you. He saw the reality of the giant. He knew the weapons he had, but he still knew that his God was greater. May this week, our God get greater in our vision, not smaller. As he gets greater, may the threats around us shrivel and shrink in comparison to who our God is. Be glorified in and through us that the world might see us go through some of the same stuff they're going through, but with complete peace and faith in our God. Help us to focus on you rather than the threats we face. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.